Amen. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Well, as I shared um, a few minutes ago, last week, um, if you weren't with us, we began walking through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. And when I, um, because the week before last was a shorter week, um, I'd outlined my message, but I hadn't really dug into it and started fleshing it out. And and when I started doing that, I realized there's no way this can be just a one-week message. It's going to have to be broken up into two weeks. And so we began walking through it last week, and we'll finish up this week with this passage of Scripture. But but the reason we went to this passage is obviously the Lord led me, but it's also the passage of Scripture that talks about new things, our relationship with the Lord being new. And, And as we entered into 2020, we're given a new start, aren't we? We're given a new year, a new decade in that historic 2020 that we've been looking forward to for so long. And so I'm looking forward to our time together this morning. Um, I, I came across this illustration, um, and and has to be um, somewhat true, but um, I want to share it with you. There once was a Baptist preacher, a lawyer, and a doctor who went deer hunting. And as they were walking, um, a deer just shot out in front of them, and all three pulled up their gun and simultaneously shot that deer, and that deer fell over dead. And so all the guys began to to claim responsibility, saying that I'm the one that shot the deer. No, I shot the deer. No, I shot the deer. And since the guys couldn't come to an agreement, they decided they were going to take that deer to a veterinarian. And they took the deer to the vet and, and, and said, said, Doc, we can't figure out who shot this deer, and so we need your help. And so Doc went back and began to examine the, the deer, and he came out, and he, and he said, there's no doubt that the Baptist preacher shot that deer. And the, 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 the doctor and lawyer were like, well, what do you mean? How, how do you know this? And the, and the vet said, well, because the bullet went one, in one ear and right out the other ear. <laughs> Here's what I know, okay? I know that there are times... When the things that I say to you probably go in one ear and right out the other ear. Here's my prayer this morning for all of us, that we will take God's message and we'll apply it to our lives. We won't let it go in one ear and out the other ear. This past week, I was in New Orleans um, for, for a class for my, for my D-Men. And, and it was a class on strategic leadership, great class, read some really good books preparing for that class and had some really good class conversations. And one, within one of the books that I read, there's this quote from Winston Churchill. And you'll notice up on the screen um, these words that he, he spoke. He said, to every man, there comes a moment when he has figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered a chance to do a special thing unique to him, and fitted to his talent. What a tragedy if that moment finds him unprepared or unqualified for the work which he, which would be his finest hour. You know, I think all of us in this room want our lives to count, don't we? We want our lives to matter. Not only do we want our lives to matter, but we want the lives of those that we do life with for their lives to matter as well. Here's my prayer for all of us. Let's make the hours entrusted to us during this year, 2020, to be some of the finest hours that we have ever lived. Regardless of our age, how old we are, how young we are, let's use this 
moment that the Lord has given us to make these days some of our finest. If, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to um, really be focusing in this morning on verses 18 through 21, but I do want us to start looking at verse 13 again together, just to be reminded of what we studied last week. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, turn with me in your Bibles if you haven't already, and let's begin reading together in verse 13. These are the words of the Lord. For if we are beside ourselves, it is from God, for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our message point this morning is this. We are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us in this room, at the moment of our salvation, were declared to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that throughout God's word. So last week we began looking at our first two points. Our first two points are in your bulletin for you already. Um, but point number one was in Christ, we are controlled by his love. Point two was in Christ, we are new creations. And now our third point or first point this morning is in Christ, we are reconciled. Verse 18 again says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does this word reconciled mean? Um, a simple definition is this, to reunite, to reunite something that is broken, okay? Um, and and we, we, we can think to ourselves, you know, what are some things that are broken that can be reunited or reconciled? And one of those things that we think about are bones, right? Bones that are broken can be reconciled and made straight again. I've shared this illustration with you before, um, but I want to do it again just because I think it's just a great visual. My grandfather, whenever he was a young kid, he was out hunting um, one day with a buddy of his, and they were climbing up some, some railroad air, um, um, tracks, and, and he slipped and fell, and he shot himself in the arm um, and just shattered his arm, um, his wrist and, and part of his arm. And, and when, when they got him to the doctor, um, apparently um, this is how the doctor treated that compound fracture or that broken arm. He gave my grandfather a shot of whiskey, and then he took a shot of whiskey. And apparently they went back and forth doing that, meaning I think the doctor got too drunk to actually fixed my grandfather's arm. So he went through the rest of his life with, with a, a, a deformed arm, 
He had this bone that just stuck out. Now it's covered with skin, obviously, but, but that is how he lived the rest of his life um, with, with, with this, this ailment. Why did that happen? Well, because that doctor did not reconcile that broken arm. Well, when we think about Christ, we think about how Christ came to reconcile that which was broken. Before Christ came, our relationship with God was broken. That bone had been um, sticking up, and it hadn't yet been made right. What Jesus did is he made our relationship right with God the Father. So bones are reconciled. Relationships are reconciled as well. I know um, over the years I've had the opportunity to counsel with um, with, with married couples, counsel with um, families and, and friends, and I've seen relationships that were once broken or strained or severed made right again. You know, there's one relationship that, that was broken at the beginning of time that had to be reconciled, and it could only be reconciled to Jesus Christ, and that was man's relationship with God the Father. And when that relationship was reconciled through Jesus, notice what happened. In John 1, one twelve, we, we, we are given these words. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. At the moment of our salvation, we became a child of God. That relationship with our father that was once broken and severed was made right again. And whenever that happened, as we looked at last week, we became a new creation, meaning we experienced a rebirth. We received a brand new start. Do you remember the conversation that Nicodemus had with Jesus? Um, on, 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 it was a communication that they had um, where Nicodemus was asking Jesus, how can I be reborn? How can I enter into my mother's womb again? And these are the words that, 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 that was exchanged before Jesus and the Pharisee Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Salvation is from God. It comes when a person experiences a new birth. No longer as believers do we live to satisfy our fleshly desires, but we live to satisfy the Spirit's prompting upon our lives. We should not do what we do to satisfy our flesh. We should do what we do for the glory of God. We were reconciled to God, meaning Christ made right that which was broken. You know, I think another great illustration beyond this illustration of my grandfather with his, with his broken arm is how many of you have ever seen an Indiana Jones movie? Any of y'all seen those? Man, I love Indiana Jones. I mean, I love the, the suspense. I love the action. I love just those movies. One of the movies um, was the last... 
The Last Crusade. And there's a scene in that movie where, where you have Indiana Jones on, on this side of, of what appears to be just this, this giant crevice. And on the other side, there's an opening that leads to the Holy Grail. You know, it was supposed to be the cup that Jesus drank from um, at, during the Last Supper. And Anna Jones has to get from here to there in order to get that cup to come back and, and give to his father to save his father. And, and, and there's this part within this movie where, where Indiana is just in a dilemma. He doesn't know how he's going to get from here there. And I want us to watch this clip together and just be reminded of, you know, just envision our relationship being on this side of this crevice and God being on the other side. And there is only one way that we can get from here to there, and that is through Jesus Christ. So let's watch this together. So before Christ, you can kind of visualize that, that we were on one side of this crevice and God was on the other side and, and our relationship with God was broken. But when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, he provided a way for our relationship with God to be made right, to be made straight, to be reconciled. And so now we can get to God the Father through God the Son, Jesus Christ. By faith, we are saved. Through Christ, we are reconciled. Christ bridged a physical and a spiritual gap for us. Notice our second point this morning. It is this. In Christ, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. Again, in verse 18, we read, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So how was Christ able to give us the the ministry of reconciliation. Well, we have to look at the method of rec reconciliation first. If you um, look at Isaiah chapter 53, in verses 4 through 6, Isaiah prophesizes of what Jesus is going to do. How through his taking upon himself our sin, he is going to provide a way for us to be saved and cleansed from that sin. But Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, we read these words. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Reconciliation occurred because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Notice what he did in that passage of scripture. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was crucified by man. He was abandoned by God. You remember what Jesus said from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. And through the work of Christ on the cross, we can experience peace today. And we can be healed by his wounds. Am I right? The work on the cross provided a way for us to be saved from our sins. And here's what I love. Because of what Christ did for us on the cross, he allowed us to be grafted into his family. Not only were we grafted into his family, but we were given a purpose in life. And that purpose is to represent Christ in what we do. So all of us in this room are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so yes, I'm your pastor. But, but I'm not the only person in this church that has been set apart to do the work of ministry. All of us in this room have been set apart to do the work of ministry. Every one of us in this room. From, from, from the youngest believer to the oldest believer, we have all been set apart to do the work of ministry. So when you come up to me and, and, and say, hey, it's, 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 it's on you to do this, my response is no, it's on all of us to do this. All of us have a part and a role to play within human history, within the church of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, Paul wrote these words, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. If you are a believer, then you are a saint. And if you are a saint, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So not only are we ministers of the gospel, but we also are entrusted with the message of the gospel. So notice our, our um, in verse 19, again, we read these words. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. While I was in New Orleans, um, within the class that I was taking, one of the, the, the stories, our books that we looked at a little bit was the book of Judges. And we began, before we dove into the book of Judges, we began by looking at the very last verse in the book of Judges. And these are the words that we read in Judges 21, verse 25. We read, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, so, so at the conclusion of the judges, um, we, we see that there is just um, utter rebellion that has taken place. But if we go back to the first part of Judges, we see that that is not the case at all. In Judges chapter 2, 
Um, Let's begin by reading verses 6 through 9. This is what we read. We read, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Then they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in, in Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaish. So at the very beginning of Judges, okay, you have Joshua. Joshua was the successor of Moses. So, so Moses, because of, 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 of his sinfulness, was not allowed to lead the people into the promised land. He led them before the gates of the promised land. But Joshua was the one who succeeded Moses and was given the opportunity to lead the people into the promised land. So Joshua was a leader. And Joshua was a man that obeyed the Lord and did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And under his leadership, we read that the people also served the Lord. But notice what happens after Joshua dies and after um, the, the generation of people died off as well. In verse 10, we read, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that, had, that he had done for Israel. What happened? What happened between Joshua's generation and the next generation? You know, that Joshua's generation was entrusted with the message, weren't they? They were entrusted with the message of the Lord, with the law of the Lord, and it was their responsibility to pass that message from one generation to the next generation. We go back to the book of Deuteronomy, and we see God clearly say that this is what you are to do. You are to instruct your children. You are to instruct others. Something happened, and and we see the consequences in Judges 2, 11 through 13. We read, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the bells, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the bells and the Ashtoreth. So who's to blame for what happened here? You know who's to blame? The people of Israel were to blame because, first of all, whenever they were given the land, what did the Lord say? You are to remove everyone from the land that is your land, and you are to take possession of the land because you are my people. Well, what did they do? They didn't remove everybody from the land, did they? They left a few people there. And what happened was those people that were were left there, um, the Israelites began to intermarry with them, and they began to take on their gods and began began to, to follow after their gods, and they abandoned the one true God. So let's think back to Joshua's generation and the leaders that, that were present during that generation. We read that these men, men followed after the Lord. These women followed after the Lord. They were probably community leaders. They were leaders within their local church or what it would have been Old Testament, the synagogue. Man, they were well-respected people. But what did they fail to do? They failed to pass on the gospel to their kids, right? 
they failed to pass on the fear of the Lord to their children. They were probably so busy doing life, so busy serving, so busy leading, so busy representing the Lord amongst um, the people that were already believers that they failed to, to represent the Lord well in their own homes. All of us are familiar with, with Billy Graham, okay? And, and we know this, first of all, church is important, and doing the work of ministry is essential. But, but church is not more important, or, or doing the work of ministry amongst the masses is not more important than, than representing Christ well at our home, right? And passing on the gospel to our children and to their children. And, and I want to read to you um, a quote from, from Billy Graham. And, and Billy Graham, we know, is, is, is one of the greatest evangelists to, to ever walk the face of this earth. Hundreds of thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ because he stood and he preached the gospel well throughout his life. But, but notice this. Billy Graham wrote this um, toward the end of his life. He said, although I have much to be grateful for, as I look back over my life, I also have many regrets. I have failed many times. And I would do many things differently. For one thing, I would speak less and study more, and I would spend more time with my family. When I look back over the schedule I kept 30 or 40 years ago, I am staggered by all the things we did and the engagements we kept. Sometimes we flew from one part of the country to another, even from one continent to another, in the course of only a few days. Were all those engagements necessary? Was I discerning as I might have been about which ones to take and which ones to turn out down? I doubt it. Every day I was absent from my family is gone forever. Although much of that travel was necessary, some of it was not. You know, Billy Graham admits that he was an absentee father. You know, whenever he probably should have been home spending more time investing in his children, he was out doing the work of ministry. And, and, and even he and Ruth would say that when, when Billy Graham would come home, um, he, he kind of let the kids get away with certain things. Instead of kind of being a disciplinarian in the, in the home, um, you know, keeping bedtimes when bedtimes needed to be kept, he kind of told Ruth, oh, let them stay up and watch TV a little bit longer. And so he became their buddies and their pals instead of their, their, their father instructed to, 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 to lead them well, and, and some of you may know a little bit of the stories of, of Billy Graham's sons, but, but they have, our children, um, they have had some heartaches in life. Um, I know that a couple of them experienced divorce. Um, at least one of them had a drug problem, and, and a couple of them, I believe, had alcohol issues as well. And, and so, I mean, th- what this tells us is this, you know, we can be out doing Everything that we feel led to do outside of our home, representing Christ and representing Christ well. But if we fail in our home, then what we're doing is we're failing our children. And what we're doing by failing our children is we're failing to, to potentially give them the tools they need to transfer the gospel from themselves to another generation. So we can kind of understand what happened to Joshua, right? 
We can understand how um, if, Billy, if Billy Graham struggled, we can understand why Joshua struggled because they were out serving the Lord and they failed as leaders within their homes. So let's make a commitment together that we are going to transfer the gospel message of reconciliation to our children, to our grandchildren, and to those that we do life with. Notice next, the, the, the fourth point is this. In Christ, we are ambassadors of heaven. In verse 20, we read, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is the official representative of one's home country within a foreign country. What Paul sees himself as, as an ambassador of Christ, he sees himself and all believers, subsequently, as messengers from the king. Paul had been given a message from King Jesus, and he was out representing King Jesus wherever he went. He realized that he was an ambassador, that he wasn't a citizen of this earth, but he represented Christ, and he represented Christ well as he went out and did the work of ministry. How many of you um, grew up in a Southern Baptist church? Several of us. You remember RAs, Royal Ambassadors, and GAs, Girls in Action? Well, I, I, I only did RAs once, uh, or for one year, when we moved to, to um, First Wiley. Um, when I was in the sixth grade, that was the year that we moved in there, and so that was the first church that did RAs. And so I got to do it for one year, but while I was on staff there, um, we had RAs. And, 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 and what RAs did, and Girls in Action, is it did two things. It it discipled and, and it equipped future missionaries. That's what the program was all about. It was about taking God's word, getting the word into somebody, and encouraging them to get the word into another person. Um, kind of, it's very much like we do Awanas here. Okay, it's, it's very similar in its approach to make disciples who are going to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. But here's the deal. You and I are ambassadors of Christ. As ambassadors of Christ, we get to transfer the message of our King and from our King Jesus to other people. That is what we do. And that's what an ambassador does. An ambassador transfers the message from the king or in our context as Americans, the president, and passes that on to other people. Notice what an ambassador does not do. An ambassador does not share their own message. They do not share their own opinion. They do not go rogue. They represent the king and their country, and they are to do that well. You and I, at the moment of our salvation, became citizens of heaven. As a citizen of heaven, we have been given a specific message from King Jesus and commissioned by him to share that message with the world. Now our heavenly citizenship should take precedence to our earthly citizenship, right? We are no longer citizens of just earth. We are are, 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 are of America. We are now citizens of heaven, citizens of the king uh, of heaven. You know, um, I've had the opportunity to travel um, around the world. 
And any time I go around the world or out of our country, I have to take my passport with me. And that passport tells that customs agent, and it also tells everyone that I encounter within that country that wants to see my passport, that I am just a visitor on vacation within that country, or I may be on a mission trip, and I am a missionary for a short time in that country. But it is not my home country. I am not a citizen of that country. I am a citizen of the United States of America. My passport makes that clear to not only them, but also reminds me. I may go to a place, and it's absolutely beautiful and stunning, and I love it, but, but guess what? I'm just a temporary resident within that place. And here's the deal. As we approach life, we can approach life in one of two ways. We can approach life as if we are vacationing and just enjoying the sights and the sounds. Or we can approach life realizing that we are missionaries of Jesus Christ. We can do that here in our home country as well as abroad. How do you treat life? Do you treat it as if you are on vacation, or do you treat it like you are on a mission given to you by God the Father? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, we read these words. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory is their shame, which with mind set on earthly things. In verse 20, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are citizens here of earth, temporary residents. We are just passing through for just a moment, and soon we're going to be in our eternal resting spot, our eternal home in the kingdom of God. Notice our next point. So we are given the ministry of, or the the. the ministry and message of reconciliation, but also in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. In verse 21, we read, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice what this passage tells us. It tells us that Jesus knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. He never committed a sin, and he was a perfect man. 100% man, 100% God, and he lived his life to perfection. Never committed a sin. Never did anything wrong. That is how he was able to go to the cross and die on that cross for our sins. That is how he was able to reconcile us to God the Father by becoming the final sin sacrifice for all of human history. Back in the Old Testament, you remember that, that, that an unblemished lamb would be sacrificed on behalf of the sins of the people. And it was an ever-recurring thing that would never stop. But with Jesus, he put a stop to that because he became the final sin sacrifice. So he knew no sin. And he also, we see here, that he became our sin. He did not sin, nor was he made to be a sinner Yet he was treated as if he were a sinner, right? 
Remember, Christ died between two, two thieves. Both deserved death, but Jesus did not deserve death because he was without sin. Why did Jesus have to die? He died because of his great love for each of us. He died a sinner's death to make restitution for our sins. His death provided a way for us to be reconciled to God, and only those who have been made right by Jesus will be able to stand before our righteous king one day. What Jesus did is he literally, once again, he bridged the gap between us and God. That once was which was broken, that once was, was, which was severed, Jesus Christ provided a way for us to go from, from this side of the chasm to the other side. And we get from here to there when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's the good thing. We don't have to step out on an in, onto an invisible bridge because we can take God's words and, and know that they are truth and we can, we can simply cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I have made mistakes and I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins. And when we do that and we commit to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our lives, the Bible says that we at that moment are saved. We at that moment are set free. We at that moment are reconciled to God the Father. As we wrap up our message this morning, let me, let me just ask you a couple of, of questions by way of review. The first one is this. Are, are there some relationships in your life that need to be reconciled? Are, are there some friendships that need to be reconciled or some marriages that need to be reconciled? Are there some, um, some people, maybe even in this church, that, that man, you've just, your relationship with them has been severed because of something that you need to make right? Maybe it's a relationship with a child that you need to, to get reconciled. Let me, let me just invite all of us in here to ask the Lord if there is, and let's begin to pray about ways that we can make those relationships right. Remember, you are a minister of the gospel, set apart at the moment of your salvation to do the work of ministry. You get to do, and I get to do the work of ministry as we carry the message of reconciliation to the world. And, and also, remember, this is not our home. We are ambassadors living in a foreign land. We, we, we can treat this land as if it's a, a, a temporary vacation spot, or we can treat this land recognizing that it's a place for us to do the work of ministry as we are on mission with one another. Once again, reaching back to the quote that Winston Churchill um, quoted, you know, all of us are entrusted with the same number of hours and days this, this year, 2020. Believe it or not, we have 366 days this year to impact lives because it's leap year. Yeah, so Terry's over there. He's like, 366? How's, how's that possible? Um, but we have 366 this year, so we get an extra day to impact this world that we live in. And let's allow this year 
to be some of our, 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 our finest years. Let's take opportunities that the Lord gives us to impact this world that we live in. You may be here this morning and, and, and you realize that your relationship with God um, is severed. You realize that, you know, I've never repented of my sins and I've never placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and my relationship with God the Father is broken. I want you to know this morning that it can be made straight again if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to be standing here at the front in just a moment. And if, 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 if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning and, and you, you recognize that, hey, you know, my relationship with X, Y, or Z is severed and I need to make that right. So I want to invite you this morning to pray about that. And pray that the Lord will give all of us opportunities to make those severed relationships right again. I don't know what decision you need to make. You, Lord may be leading you to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home, and we invite you to do that. But let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in, in a closing prayer. And, and as we pray, let's just ask the Father just to continue to reveal His truth to us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you now. Father, acknowledging that we are nothing without you. But thanking you that we have become so much more through you. You have gifted us with the gift of eternal life. And for that, we are forever grateful. And so, Father, I pray now during this time of invitation, if there is someone here that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that today you'll draw them into salvation. I pray that today they'll repent of their sins. I pray that today they'll cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, there may be some in this room that just need to get some relationships mended because they're severed. They may be in this room or they may be outside this room. And they need to go and get those reconciled. And I pray that that happens today. Father, we ask that you move during this time of invitation. First, in Jesus' name we pray.